kind of wrapping up our Advent series. Of course, this is technically a post-Advent message, but I hope everyone had a really good Christmas week, enjoyed some time. I always enjoy when Christmas is early in the week, because when that happens, it almost seems like it slows down the rest of the week in some ways. I was able to have a few days at home with my family, a lot of days to visit, play games, and of course, eat way too much food. Like, I'm still tired from food. Like, I think I've had a food hangover for like two weeks now, and it just hadn't slowed down, but we've really enjoyed it. We've watched some movies. That's not something we do with our kids all the time, but we've watched a lot of TV. And as I was preparing this message, I thought about movies in particular that you'll be watching a movie, and this probably has happened to some of you, and you're watching, and out of nowhere, somebody comes onto the screen, and you're like, hey, I didn't remember this guy or that lady being in this movie. Have you ever had that moment where I don't remember them being in this, and maybe it's because you just have remembered the plot, you've remembered other characters from the story, you forgot that that actor or actress was even in this movie. Well, the characters we're going to look at today are kind of those types of characters. If you have a church background, when we read this text, you may very well find yourself saying, they're in here, I remember that. But if you don't have a church background, you may be like, who are these people? Because to be honest, they almost seem like obscure footnotes. They almost seem like random people in the story. But what I want to tell you is that God does not do random. There are no random characters in the story of God. Hey, by the way, that means you and I as well. All the way to today, there are no random characters in the story of God. Every single one, if you are a Christ follower today, you matter to the kingdom of God. And God wants to use you to do incredible things. But as seemingly random as these characters may seem... We're going to see through this text that these were not uh, random people, that they weren't just in the right place at the right time, but rather by relying on the Holy Spirit of God, he put them in the right place at the right time. So you've heard me say this before, but I want to just kind of let the cat out of the bag right out of the beginning. Here's the main point of today's message, and it's on the slide here. Godliness doesn't just happen. Godliness doesn't just happen. You're not going to wake up one day and say, hey, I'm godly. Isn't that great? That's not how that works. In fact, I would suggest that generally when you have that moment and you wake up and have a realization about God, isn't it normally the opposite of that? Don't you normally have a moment where you're like, I have fallen far away from where I used to be with the Lord. And what I would say today is that when we're not intentional about our relationship with God, when we're not intentionally pressing into the things of God, we're actually slowly fading away from our relationship with Him. So what I want us to see today by God's grace is that His Holy Spirit wants to lead us into an ever-growing and loving relationship with the Lord, and we need God's help to get there. So we want to see these characters. We're going to read about them, and as we do, I want you to be noticing these characteristics, the hearts, the purposes behind their lives, and God's going to use that to show us what it looks like to be His people and to grow in Him daily. Let's start reading here in Luke 2, starting in verse 22. The word of the Lord says this. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And also a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Will you pray with me again? Lord Jesus, we need your help today as we study your word. As we look at a passage that often gets buried in the midst of the Christmas story, God, I pray that you would show us your truth. Lord, we want to be in position to be used by you. As we think about a new year, Lord, it's our desire to see you use us for great things. Individually, as families, as a church, God, we want you to do wonderful things in and through us. But we are aware that, God, that means we need to intentionally Follow your spirit so that you can mold and shape us into who you want us to be. So I pray that as we study this text, you would show us what that looks like. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, this text to me is is very powerful and thought-provoking on a lot of different levels. We could probably do multiple messages on this to kind of dig and get everything we have. But what I want us to see today is what uh, we've talked about the last couple of weeks, that God is going to use many things to confirm to Mary and Joseph that Jesus is indeed the Christ. This is one of the big overarching points of not only this text, but we'll see this the next few weeks, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. So this is a story that is going to confirm that to them. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, Rusty, after the angels and the shepherds and the star and all that kind of stuff, what in the world do they need to have another sign? Well, let me just remind you, and this may slip a little bit into testimony time, but these are parents of a newborn. Okay, and this is about a month in, we suspect, uh, and actually don't really, this is just the biblical command to be about 40 days after Jesus's birth that he's being taken to the temple. So this is after a month of uh, middle of the night feedings, getting nights and days mixed up. I'm sure there was more than once when Mary was like, what have we gotten ourselves into? God, why did you pick us for this mission? Yet Mary and Joseph are still obedient to the law of the Lord. They're going to the temple to present Jesus for this firstborn sacrifice. This was uh, really at the risk of oversimplification. This was kind of the Old Testament equivalent of what we call child dedication today. 
But this sacrifice was actually, they would take the firstborn, and it wasn't just uh, their kids. It was the first crops and the first animals. The animals and the crops, they would actually sacrifice the first crops and the firstborn animal. But when it was actually a human, they would not sacrifice the kid. They would instead make another sacrifice in place of the firstborn. So that's what they are doing in this situation. By the way, the text says that there was, you know, doves and birds, pigeons. This indicates that uh, Joseph and Mary were probably had low income. They, the Bible makes provision for that. So they are offering what they can and they're coming to the temple. Basically, what you need to know is that even in the midst of being used by God for such a crazy thing, we see Joseph and Mary very intentionally following the law of the Lord. They're doing what godly people do. They're following what the Lord's commanded them to do. And when they get there, they meet these two very interesting characters, Simeon and Anna. And it's clear from the text that both of them were faithful servants of God. They seem to be older. The reason we say that about Simeon is because he says, okay, I can die now, right? But if I saw the, the manifest physical presence of Jesus, I might say, all right, I'm good. So we don't know for a fact that they were old, but the text seems to point to him being older. The text explicitly tells us that Anna was older. Now, some of you right now may be in the age range that we read earlier, and you're saying, like, hold on a second, Rusty. You better watch what you say next. And I understand that. Depending on how you interpret this text, uh, in the original language, it, there seems to indicate that it actually says she lived with her husband seven years since she was a virgin and then 84 more years. So she is either 84, as this version says, or she could be in her 90s, which let me just tell you today, that is young. All right. Try to get some points here. OK, some of you. that. But in the time of the Bible, you need to understand that this is this is way past the, the expectancy of life. And this is Anna. She's in her 80s or 90s and has been a widow all this time. Two very interesting characters that we find here in the text. And the Bible tells us that they had spent their lives, both faithful servants, serving, worshiping, and importantly, waiting. Waiting. What were they waiting for? Verse 25 says Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. Now that phrase doesn't really jump out to us because we don't have a Jewish background. But for those who had a Jewish background at this time, this phrase, the consolation of Israel, would stand out because this was a way that they would often close their prayers. You know, you and I, when we pray, oftentimes we'll say, in Jesus' name we pray, in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Whatever you use there in the conclusion, not trying to pick on the uh, the ways we pray there, but they would often say something uh, Lord, please uh, bring the consolation of Israel. That would be a closing remark in their prayers consistently. So he had spent his life looking and waiting for the consolation of Israel. How would the Lord bring consolation to his people Israel? Well, he would do it through the Old Testament alludes to oftentimes and then many other times explicitly says the Messiah will come. A redeemer will come, a healer will come, someone will come to save my people, to restore my people, to redeem what has been broken, to save what has been lost. The Messiah will come. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And here we're seeing in this text that at the right place, at the right time, or as Pastor Bob said all the way back in the beginning of our Advent series, that in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, came. And Jesus was and Jesus is the consolation of Israel. Now this is important for us because he's the one who came to heal, to redeem, to save. 
And the Holy Spirit says that Simeon has been waiting and the Holy Spirit of God promised Simeon, you will see the Savior before you die. So the Holy Spirit delivers on the promise and says, go to the temple. Simeon obeys and he goes and God fulfills his promise. And I know I've been beating on this drum all throughout Christmas, but I got to say it again. Don't forget this actually happened. These are real people in a really, really weird situation. I know that you're probably careful with your babies, but this is the son of God. This is God's baby. Okay. So how much more so did new apprehensive parents take care of baby Jesus? You know what I'm saying? And they wander into the temple and you can almost see this scene. It's terrifying even for me. And uh, it, just to think about this, they walk in and an old man runs up and grabs their baby up. And starts proclaiming and praising and praying and probably weeping. You can imagine this is something he's waited for his entire life. And God has said the consolation of Israel is here. We can't really imagine the emotion that he was feeling in that moment. Mary and Joseph had to be confused. Then there's the crazy old lady who lives at the church who comes up and grabs the baby and is praying and proclaiming. And Can you imagine this? It's a bizarre scene that we have here. Again, though, all of this is confirming that Jesus is who the angels told Mary and Joseph he was. We're going to see, we're going to continue. We've got a few weeks off. We're doing a special series in January, but then we're going to come back to the Gospel of Luke. And we will see that continually God is going to affirm to Mary and Joseph and really to everybody, this is not just any other baby. This is not just any other man. This is the Son of God. But this is one of the most shocking things about the nativity and really just about Christmas in general to me is that it's so small. This is a very small cast of characters, isn't it? If you start the last few weeks with what we have read and studied and even what we haven't studied, the wise men, you've got your shepherds, your wise men. You've got, you know, whoever's down there in the stable. You've got a small cast of characters. You have Simeon and Anna and just a handful of people. Our nativity scenes, no matter how large or small and accurate or inaccurate they may be, they're still pretty small, aren't they? The whole crowd is not very big. I'll just tell you, Monday night at our Christmas Eve service, we were super pumped because we had a full house. We were bringing in chairs. We were just so excited that so many people came to worship Jesus with us. But I can just tell you this, if we'd have had the entire crowd that came to worship Jesus his first three or four years of life, show up Monday night, we would have been sorely disappointed with the turnout. We'd have gone home. I'd have kept a brave face, but then I'd have went home and just cried to Mallory. Where is everybody, right? We would be very disappointed in that. Yet, when Jesus arrived, the truth is the majority of the world didn't notice. Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel, was here. Yet, almost all of Israel missed it. Only the faithful few, like Simeon and Anna, We're in the right place at the right time. Why did so many people miss Jesus? Well, I think not unlike today, I think a lot of people are just too busy to be looking. They're not looking for Jesus. And then even those who are aren't looking in the right place. In this time, those looking for Jesus, they wanted a king. They didn't want a kid born out in the barn behind the Bethlehem Motel 6. They're looking for a king who will rule and reign over the entire known world. They want someone who will bring the glory days back to the Jews. It was unexpected. But really, at the end of the day, all of these reasons are really symptoms of a bigger issue. And the bigger issue is this. 
outside of a handful of people, they missed Jesus because they were not being led by the Holy Spirit. And this is where this passage begins to turn in towards us a little bit. Jesus came not only as the consolation of Israel, but he came as the consolation of all mankind. Jesus came to redeem and save all who would call upon his name. Yet today, many, many have missed him, just like in the time of his birth. What's crazy is we don't even have to wait The consolation has come. We're not waiting on the consolation. The consolation has come. Jesus is available, yet many people today are still longing for the consolation of their broken lives. But listen, even those who are saved, those who have received Christ, often miss out on the joy and the life that comes when we're walking with the Spirit. This happens, doesn't it? But what this passage is going to do and what it should remind us and call us to do today is to be a people constantly connected to God, a people who are walking in the Holy Spirit. Because what becomes very clear to us is that Simeon and Anna were not just in the right place at the right time, but rather they were following the Holy Spirit of God. And in following the Holy Spirit of God, he led them directly to where they needed to be to encounter Jesus and be prepared to proclaim him. They were in position to praise Jesus. They worship Jesus and notice in the text, both of them, when they receive him, experience him, what's their natural response to proclaim him? This is our mission. So what I want us to do is look closely at this text in the last few minutes we have together. Uh, We're about one-tenth of the way through with this message, okay? Uh, You think I'm joking? No, I'm kidding. I, I am. I just try to set the bar so high that you're shocked when we get out early. That's that's my goal, okay? Like, we're going to be here for a couple hours, okay? Settle in. And then that way, like, that was only an hour and a half. Great. So uh, lower your expectations, okay? But what I want us to see is some very specific words that Dr. Luke uses, okay? Speaking to us and to, to us about these characters and their characteristics that were in their lives that I believe put them in position to praise, in position to experience and proclaim Jesus to those who they encountered. So let's look at these and ask the Lord to kind of put them into our hearts as well. If we're going to be in position to praise, first we see that Simeon was righteous. Simeon was righteous. Now, certainly it doesn't mean Simeon was perfect. It doesn't mean that he had everything together. This word means, though, that Simeon was seeking to live in accordance with God's command and by his law. Simeon was a man of the word of God. He didn't have the Bible like we have today, but he had the Old Testament, the law, and he wasn't perfect, but he spent his life striving after God's standard. And this was pleasing to God. Now, this is a great place for us to start in the midst of this, because you cannot walk by the Spirit, you cannot walk in righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. You need to know that right now. So if you're taking notes, if you're trying to remember this, Understand what this is not. This is not a call for you to start going out there and getting your stuff together and being righteous. Because that's not going to work out for you if you try. Like, yeah, I haven't been living in purity. I haven't been following the law of the Lord. I guess I need to get on that. Time to get righteous. Let's go. It's not going to work. Simeon was saved, and here's how he was saved, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, he didn't experience Jesus Christ. He was saved by grace through faith in the future hope that was to come in Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that he actually got to experience Christ, too. The consolation of Israel, he got to hold him. Here's what's astounding 
church. You and I are saved by grace through faith. The same grace through faith that saves Simeon saves us. But our faith is not in a future hope. Our faith is in a living hope. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And if you want to have righteousness today, it comes only through your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't make yourself righteous. The only way to be righteous is to be in Christ. And you can't experience Jesus and proclaim Jesus if you're not in Jesus today. So the glorious invitation, as we have said every week, is to let Christ be born in you today if you don't have a relationship with him. To let him be the Lord of your life, to let him save you and become a Christ follower so that you can live in righteousness. If we're going to be in position to praise, we have to start there. The second thing we see is that Simeon was devout. We're going to be in position to praise. We need to be devout. Now, devout's a word we use, isn't it? It's a word I've even used in conversations this week, usually talking about people of faith, particularly other faiths. We talk about someone being a devout Catholic or a devout Muslim or even a devout Christian. Uh, we usually use that to talk about extreme devotion. But in the Bible, this is a word that's not really used very often. In fact, Luke's the only one who uses this word. He uses it once here and once in the book of Acts. But this word devout means to take hold of. It means to take hold of. And I believe this word devout goes hand in hand with the word righteousness. In righteousness, if we're going to be made righteous, essentially what happens is that God and his gospel take hold of us. And in this word devout, the idea is that we are taking hold of the one who's taken hold of us. The idea here is that we need to be a people who are serious about our faith. Taking hold of the one who is taking hold of us. I've got a two-year-old a girl, and if you ever see her, in fact, someone after first service said demonstrate for us because she was here. And I pick her up, and let me just tell you, when daddy has his little girl, she's not going anywhere, okay? I'm holding her. She is secure, and she is safe. I'm not going to drop her. There's not a risk of that. I have got her. But I'll tell you what she does. She has the, the claws and the clamp ability like nobody else. When I'm holding on to her, she is holding on to me with everything she has. And when I think about this word being devout, taking hold of that which has taken hold of us, taking hold of the one who has taken hold of us, that's the picture I get. That God is holding us tight today. There is nothing we can do to get out of his grip. Yet at the same time, to be devout, the call is for us to be serious about our faith to hold on to the one who is holding on to us. That's what it means to be devout. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you serious about your faith? Are you serious about your faith? I think far too many Christ followers have become careless and casual about their life with Christ. The call of the gospel is for us to love Jesus more and more, day after day after day after day. Are you growing in your love for Jesus? Are you growing in your knowledge of him and love for him every single day? I think for so many people, faith is almost a past tense thing. I got saved when I was a kid or I experienced God at this point in my life. Listen, I don't want to make anyone doubt your salvation. If you know that you surrendered your life to Christ and you had that moment where you asked him to be your Savior and Lord and you experienced him, then you are saved. But let me just tell you something. If you are living a past tense faith, 
then you are missing out on the blessings of God in your life today. You're missing out on the life that He wants you to live for Him today. Our faith is not a past tense faith. It's a past, present, and future faith. It is an active faith that ought to be changing you and I day in and day out as we press into Jesus. If you want to experience Jesus and proclaim Him, then we must be a people who hold on to the one who is holding on to us. That's what it means to be devout. We also see in this text that Simeon was expectant. He was expectant. Verse 25, again, this phrase says that he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. That word waiting is not a passive word. Like the idea of I'm waiting on my wife to get ready. Don't look over there. So you know what I mean, right? Like, hey, in the first service, several, several guys made critical mistakes. All of my slots for, for counseling are full because several men looked over at their wives when I said that earlier. So just be careful, okay? Caution. But it's not a passive thing like we're just sitting around. But notice that Simeon and Anna were both actively serving and actively worshiping Jesus. The, the idea of being expectant is that we are looking and waiting for God to move. I think that God is moving way more than we realize today. But we don't see it because we're not looking for him to move. We don't expect him to move. How many times have we said stuff like this? I'm guilty of this for sure. Man, God really showed up and moved today during our worship service. We're like shocked when God moves, aren't we? Like, man, like God spoke to us as we opened up his word. Man, God really inhabited the praises of his people today. That's crazy, isn't it? We're surprised when God shows up and does something even in the corporate setting. When we as the people of God are gathered here to worship God, we're like, wow, God showed up. And we wonder why we don't see God move in other ways in our lives, because we're not even looking for him to move here, let alone in the everyday moments of our lives. We need to become expectant about God moving and working. Now, Simeon had spent a lifetime waiting for this consolation of Israel. You say, well, you know, uh, I just didn't experience what Simeon experienced. Simeon is an older guy, we believe, and has spent his life waiting, and it hasn't been fulfilled until this very moment. But his passion does not wane. He does not grow weary. You and I can't grow weary in waiting for God to move the way we expect him to move. Sure, every Sunday may not be a Pentecost experience. Sure, God may work in small and simple ways in many areas of our lives, but church, we must become a people who expect and watch for God to work in our lives. If we're going to experience Him. That leads us to our next truth. If we're going to experience God, if we're going to be in a position to praise, we need to be obedient. We need to be obedient. Dr. Mark Tew in his commentary on Luke's Gospel brings up a very interesting question. He asks, what would have happened... If Simeon had waited to go to the temple when the Holy Spirit called him to go. The text says that he was led by the Spirit to walk to the temple. Can I just tell you what I would have done? I would have been like, there's nothing going on at the temple today. It's not my day to go to the temple. I'm not crazy like that lady Anna. She just stays there. I don't want to go. She's going to want to talk to me and have a cup of coffee. It's just going to be weird. Okay, that's rusty paraphrase version, but you're with me. I would have prayed about it. I would have thought, well, I just don't really know. If he would have delayed at all, think about this. He would have missed Jesus. He would have missed this family that was coming in to do their firstborn offering and then leave. 
He would have missed what he had been waiting for his entire life. He would have missed the very promise of God for his life. I wonder how many times we have missed God's call because we weren't obedient to him. Because we weren't willing to respond when he called. If we want to be a people in position to experience and be used by Jesus, we need to be a people of of immediate obedience. Friends, what has God called you to do that you're sitting on today? That you're waiting on? Can I just tell you, God wants to use you today. I feel like I need to say this. This wasn't in my notes, but I qualified this in the first service too. I feel like the Lord called me to do it. Because I I know that when, uh, serious statement, I do wonder how often we miss God's call because we're not obedient. But aren't you thankful for the grace of Jesus? That he continually is calling us. I have a friend who is an elder at the church that I used to pastor in southeast Texas. And uh, today, in fact, probably he's done by now. They start church a little earlier than us. He preached the word of God this morning at church. And he had told me that uh, he was a little bit nervous about it. But I found out he's preaching. I texted him. And here's what he told me. He said, you know, Rusty, I've been praying about it. And I feel like God has been wanting me to step up in the area of teaching and preaching. But I've just kind of held back. We got a call last night that he had to preach today. And I said, you know what? Sometimes God, by his grace, brings you to the temple whether you're ready or not. And haven't you had moments like that in your life where you were like, I don't really know. Boom, God still moves and still. We're thankful for the grace of Jesus and for second chances and that every day is a new day. But can I tell you, let's not presume upon his grace this morning. If he's calling us, we are called to respond. We need to obey the Lord, whatever he's telling us to do. Now, you may be thinking, we spent a lot of time on Simeon. He joked about his sermon being long. He's just now getting to Anna. But Luke isn't as specific with Anna, is he? We don't have a list of words and character traits about her life. But I want to point out is something that's very interesting to me. What we do see is that very literally she was in position to meet Jesus. Why? Because we just said earlier, she never left the temple. The, the language doesn't convey this in English, but in the original language, a literal translation says this. She kept not leaving the temple. She was constantly not leaving. That's how it literally reads. And it's done like that to make you get the point. She wasn't getting out of there. She stayed in the temple worshiping, praying, praising God. She was that crazy lady. So you're thinking, okay, well, I guess we're all moving in. Here we go. Uh, no, don't do that. Our students are going to be staying here for a couple of days on a retreat. Be praying for them. Their immediate application. They're just moving in tonight. But here's what you need to understand. The New Testament says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally dwells within us. Here's the idea we need to get here from Anna. She was constantly worshiping. You and I need to be people who are constant worshipers. Everything we do in our life is worship. Everything we do is lived in the midst of the presence of God. We don't go to the temple to see God. God is within us. God is here. He is everywhere. And because of that, everything we do is worship. She got connected and stayed connected. This is the call for us today. Simeon may have had more applications for us, but let me just tell you something. I'm convinced that if we did what Anna did, 
then we would do all these other things naturally. They'd be the natural product of living a life of worship. If we were worshipers, then we would rely on the righteousness of Christ through his work on the cross. Uh, We would hold on to the one who held on to us. We would expect God to work because we see him working all the time. We would immediately obey because we know that if he's calling us to do it, that's where his blessing resides. So we wouldn't have issues with all these things we tend to have issues with. If we were worshipers. I don't know about you, but I want God to use me this year. I want God to use my family. I want God to use our church for his purposes, for his plans. I want God to use us to actually fulfill this mission, to be a people who reach, teach, live and love like Jesus. But if we're going to do that, we have to be a people who intentionally walk with the spirit of God. Church, this isn't going to just happen. We can't do enough Sundays to make this work. You can't hear enough sermons. You can't check all the right boxes. Instead, we as the people of God need to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, what do you want to do with us? Make me who you want us to be. Make this family, make this church who you want us to be. And when we do that, God stands ready to use us far beyond anything we could think or imagine. Let's be that people this year who submit everything we are to him and watch what God can do in and through us to reach, teach, live, and love like he does. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. God, we are challenged today, but but we also are encouraged because we are so necessarily reminded that we can't do this apart from you. Just as we can't make ourselves righteous, Lord, we realize today that we can't make ourselves walk in the Spirit. But Lord, we need your help. So God, what we're doing today is just coming together as individuals, families, and a church. And Lord, we're just asking for your help. Lord, we want you to use us. We want you to do more than we could think or imagine. God, have your way in this place. Rule and reign in our lives and our families in this church. And use us to accomplish your mission.